So today's sermon is Love Everlasting. The big message is Love Everlasting. And on that foundation and through that love, we have our applications uh, and celebrations. Love Everlasting, our salvation, our song, our security, and our service. Our salvation, our song, our security, and our service. We're going to be turning to, uh, as our main passage today, Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 through 8. And we will couple that reading in a few minutes with Psalm chapter 30, a Psalm of David, verses 3 through 5. Now, um, let me remind you, where we are in the book of Isaiah. We've got a lot of earlier Isaiah to return to in this sermon series, but because we spent three Sundays, uh, the Sunday towards the end of Lent prior to Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday itself and Easter Sunday, focusing on uh, what I described to you, and it's not just me, most biblical commentators would say this, the theological pinnacle, the Mount Everest of the entire Old Testament, the fourth of the four servant songs, the close of Isaiah 52 through Isaiah 53, about the one who is pierced for our transgressions, who dies and then lives again. Okay, uh, flowing from that, we have Isaiah 54 and 55. So we're going to be preaching in Isaiah 54 and 55 for a couple more Sundays because this is the flow, the initial flow, and the call to action in response to what. The servant has done in dying and then being victorious and rising again and being promised many children by the Lord. Obviously, we're talking about Jesus. This is a prophecy about Jesus uh, 700 years before Jesus was even born. But today, to Isaiah 54, and one other note on this. This is really important, and I'll come back to this during the sermon. Uh, the man who is called in Christian history the father of the modern mission movement, William Carey. He was an English Baptist preacher and missionary. Okay, he lived in the second half of the 18th century on into the 19th century. In the late 1700s, I believe in the 1790s, early 1790s, when, when William Carey as a young preacher was 31 years old, he preached at several gatherings leading up to the general gathering of the British Baptist. And he preached on Isaiah 54, 1 through 3. Um, sing or shout for joy, barren woman, and you need to expand your tent. You're going to bring in people from all the nations. I'm telling you, God is saying. Okay? In response to that, Carrie's sermon that ultimately caused the foundation, the start, of the Baptist Missionary Movement and Alliance. And Kerry went on to be a missionary for years, for decades, in India and surrounding countries. Okay? His sermon message off of this passage of Scripture was, number one, expect great things from God, and number two, attempt great things for God. Okay, you got it? Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. William Carey, footnote, he was a Calvinist. So his theology 
was more Presbyterian, if that makes sense, okay? He's, he's a post-millennial Calvinist in his theology, but he was a Baptist, and he said, stop being satisfied with your nice little homes and your empire. We need to get out and reach the lost. We don't want them to go to hell. God is calling us to expand the tent, okay? And God moved through that message to lead the modern missionary movement uh, to people all over the world through William Carey. So let's open to Isaiah 54, 1 through 8, and hear God's word. Shout for joy, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the sons and daughters of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For to the right and to the left, you will spread abroad and your offspring will inherit the nations and will inhabit the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Do not be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your husband is your maker. His name is the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. The God of all the earth, he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I left you, but with great mercies I will gather you. In overflowing wrath for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, with everlasting love, I will show mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. And then also another passage relating to this God's wrath and anger, it's loving anger, but it is discipline, is brief compared to everlasting love and joy that brings the new morning. Okay, so a uh, Psalm of David, just verses three through five. O Lord, O Yahweh, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. For a night, weeping may tarry, but in the morning, a shout of joy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So, remember, key point of reference. I mean, it's our foundation. Love everlasting our salvation. Love everlasting our salvation. And let me say this up front, because what I'm about to tell you about the servant, the servant of the Lord, Jesus, who died for you in your place and rose victoriously, here's the deal. There's nothing you can do when you belong to God and Jesus that could ever make the Lord love you anymore because he already loves you without measure. Do you hear what I'm saying? You have nothing to prove. But likewise, 
there's nothing you could ever do. When you, once you belong to Jesus, there's nothing you can ever do that will make God love you any less. There's nothing you can do to mess this up. Okay, you can grieve the Lord and you can have a time of discipline and wrath if that's what you want, but ultimately God will never love you any less once you belong to Jesus because he is constantly looking to that servant who died in your place and who rose again and is assured of his family of faith. Okay? So that's love everlasting. Other loves pass away. People die. People change their minds. Even people who are steadfast die and return to the dirt. But his love is everlasting. So love everlasting, number one, our salvation. We're going back to our main scripture, our central scripture for Easter Sunday for a few minutes here. Remember the fifth stanza of the suffering servant song, of this fourth of the four servant songs. It is the apex, okay, of the Old Testament. Uh, and it deals with big issues that God's will, and you remember Jesus prayed about this at Gethsemane, that God's will was for Jesus to suffer in our place and to take on our sin. I mean, not just general suffering, I'm talking about iniquity, sin, the consequences of death and hell. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. It was God's will to crush his beloved son. How could a loving God do that? Well, let's see. He has put him to grief so that, verse 10, remember this from Easter Sunday? So that when his soul makes an offering for guilt, when Jesus' soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see what? His offspring, his seed, his children. The covenants are fulfilled in him today, Abraham and David. I mean, and beyond them. I mean, just the whole world, right? He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Wait a minute, he died, but he's gonna have prolonged days. How, how does that work? Well, he's risen from the dead. And the Lord's will shall prosper in his hand. In other words, the Lord, the Father saw through the cross all the way through the resurrection, the ascension, and the glory that is to come, including a whole lot of children, okay? Whole lot of children. For a man who was never married, died and went to heaven without ever having a biological, you know, mother for children for him, okay? This is God's vision. Then verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see light and be satisfied. Remember we said, this is talking about the resurrection here. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many, not all, but many, just like the Bible keeps telling us, just like Jesus says, to give my life as a ransom for many, okay? Will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. This is our salvation, and it comes from his everlasting love. Verse 12, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. He's a victor now because he poured out his own soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many on the cross, bore the sin of many on the cross, just like Jesus kept telling his disciples he would do, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now that is our salvation. That's through Jesus. That's what is the foundation of everlasting love. That's how we know everlasting love. And the New Testament says this repeatedly. Paul says it repeatedly, but let me give you one little verse that is power packed. Right after in 1 John, we read in chapter eight that God is love. God is love. It's not just that God loves, God is love. Well, how is that possible? Well, within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's see how this works itself out. 1 John 4.10, 
in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The Jews did nothing for the Father to deserve Jesus. The Jews definitely did nothing to deserve Jesus going to the cross for them. You and I, if it's possible, did even less. Were you in that story? Were you the <laughs> Did you do something that motivated Jesus to die for you 2,000 years ago? What do you think? No, but this is love. Not that we loved him, but he loved us. So on that side is love, and guess what? On the eternal side is love too, right? When we're dead and gone, he holds us fast in his life and in his love. Everlasting love. Um, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son, for God so loved the world, sent his son to be a propitiation. That means to take away our sin, not just to cover our sin. Propitiation is a deeper word that comes from the Hebrew Old Testament. It means to remove, not just cover up, remove our sin. Okay. Um, so, Secondly, love everlasting, our salvation. This is our salvation. God calls for a response to this. Um, wake up. Remember this? Isaiah 52 leading into the fourth servant song. Wake up. Worship. Win and witness. Isaiah 52, 1, on the other side of what we've just read, 54, right? In, you know, these things frame the servant song. Awake, awake. Clothe yourselves in strength. Zion. Clothe yourselves with your beautiful garments, Jerusalem, holy city. What's that talking about? Well, a couple things. Jerusalem and Zion are supposed to be the bride of the Lord, just like broadly speaking, Israel is supposed to be the bride of the Lord, okay? But remember, in this context, what Isaiah is seeing ahead is Jerusalem is desolate. Its walls have been taken down. Its temple is gone. And things look really bad. And the Jews are mainly exiles, in Babylon. So how are you talking about get dressed up? We're going to have a wedding party. I mean, does that seem to make sense to you? Well, that's what, and, and then remember, all of a sudden it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. There's been a huge reversal in the battle. Remember this from last Sunday, from Easter Sunday? And we're supposed to look and see the heralds of the good news. Now, keep this in mind because this metaphor, this, this way of speaking of God's people as his bride is really important. Because it, it, it's, in, it's in direct distinction from the fact that God's people have been, in this story, adulterous towards him. Remember when Jesus says, oh, you wicked and adulterous people? He's not talking about everybody who's cheating on their spouse so much as he's talking a bigger story. All of us cheat on God. Okay, we're supposed to be, as the people of God, we're supposed to be faithful and devoted only to him as his wife, okay? And, and, and we, we, we commit adultery. So you read the prophet Hosea, it's all about that story. It's in here too. So, but here it's saying, look, wake up, get dressed. Get dressed for the wedding. This is gonna be awesome. Come out, come out, believe the good news heralds. And then we hear about the servant. God's good news calls for a response. We saw this last Sunday on Easter. We see it again here. God wants worshipers. When Jesus says, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, he says, God is seeking what? I mean, God is seeking people who will volunteer in the kitchen, okay? God is seeking people who will do this or that. 
But what does Jesus say God is seeking in John chapter 4? People who will do what? Worship him. You worshiping the Lord? We're here. Let's open up to worship, right? So God is seeking worshipers. So God's good news calls for a response because he loves us this much. He deserves our worship. Don't you love him? I mean, <laughs> love him in response, right? So this leads to our call to trust in our salvation and join in song. As I said, Collier is our template for today. Sing for joy, shout for joy, exuberant worship. You know what? When people are actually Christian, when people are born again, you know it in one way by the way they worship, right? When people come in like, I guess I need to worship because, you know, I'm a religious person. Does that sound like people who are on fire in love with God? No. And God is saying, look, shout for joy. And notice, he's saying it. He's commanding it to the least likely prospect. Oh, barren woman. Okay, remember how I was talking about Zion? Now look how Zion has messed herself up. She's a barren widow. Okay, she doesn't have children. She cannot have children. Even if somebody remarries her, she's not going to have children. And God says, shout for joy. Don't get just dressed up like a bride, barren widow. Shout for joy. Let the whole town know. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Captive Israel, desolate Zion is being called to trust in the Lord. When you're down, do you trust in the Lord? Hmm? When it seems like things aren't working out well? When the prognosis is not good? You shouting for joy? He calls us to see Jesus and to see beyond what's right in front of us and to dress up and to shout for joy. The barren one in the ancient world, a barren woman, was an object of shame and fear, and she had fears within her, and people were worried about this because, you know what? If we start having a bunch of barren women... Our nation isn't going to have enough boys to do the farms and the herding, and we're going to lose the wars, and we're going to be taken as slaves. It's a big deal to have sons and daughters, okay? A barren woman, bad situation. But the Old Testament keeps talking about this as a big message to us. It's a, it's a foretaste of the resurrection. Because you know what? Sarah, remember Abraham's wife, Sarah? She's barren, right? But God eventually brings her a child. But I mean, Abraham's married to a barren woman and God's saying, you're going to have so many children you won't be able to count them. How's that going to be possible? Well, that circles around to where we are today. It's a bigger story. Rachel, barren. Hannah, mother of Samuel, remember? The other wife, Penina, Elkanah's other wife. She's making fun of Hannah all the time because Hannah's barren. And Elkanah says, isn't it enough? I love you. I'm your husband. She wants a child. And God gives her Samuel, opening up the story of David, okay? But ultimately, in this situation, I got to think of Naomi. Because what happens in this scripture is the woman who does not have labor gets the child or the children anyway, okay? You hear what's, what I'm saying? And remember Naomi? She did have children earlier, but her sons are all dead, okay? She can't have children. She's barren now. She's a widow, but she has a daughter-in-law, Ruth. You remember the story? Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, ends up marrying Ruth, and they have a son, 
Obed, who's the father of Jesse, who's going to be the father of David and the whole Jesus line thing going on. But you remember what happens, right? Ruth has the baby, and they put the baby in whose lap? Naomi, the barren woman, because this barren woman is now going to be connected with the line of the Messiah and children innumerable. That's back in the Old Testament in Ruth. This is kind of what we're talking about here, only we're talking about Zion. Uh, you who have not been in labor, okay, well, if she's not in labor, who's producing all these children? Now, I know this will really give you a headache, but the servant. Remember God promised you will see your seed more than can be counted, fulfilling the Abraham covenant, fulfilling the David covenant. It's Jesus who went through the travail to bring forth you and me as children of God. Y'all hear what I'm saying? The barren woman doesn't even have to go through travail, right? It's not like God says, well, I'm going to make you fertile, like in the story of Sarah or something like that. It's the servant has already done it. The everlasting love has already happened in history right before this chapter. See what I'm saying? Okay, so that's what's going on here. So it's him, the servant, who has gone through the travail so the innumerable children can be saved and be part of the family, just like you and I can be part of this family. That is everlasting love. Um, so um, Isaiah 53:10, he shall see his offspring, his children, his seed. Um, because of God's amazing grace, it's Jesus's travail that not only saves us, but gives us a people for God. Um, Paul talks about this in Galatians, Galatians 4, 26 and 27, quoting, of course, this passage, a really important passage in the Old Testament, but the Jerusalem above, not the fallen Jerusalem, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Galatians 4, 26. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, he's quoting Isaiah, Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And back to old William Carey. So what happens next in this passage from Isaiah 54? God commands the barren woman. I mean, isn't this awesome? She's a bit an unfaithful, forsaken, barren woman, a widow, or somebody who's been given away, okay? God says, go ahead, knock yourself out, make your tent really big. Ladies, let me tell you this, in Southern sensibilities, this doesn't make sense, but I can tell you in the ancient Near East, it's the women who do the tent, the tent work. They're the ones who drive the pegs in the ground. There's a couple famous Israelite women who kill people with tent pegs, by the way. These women knew how to handle tents and pegs. Okay, ladies, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? So. God says to the barren woman, expand your tent. I know you're barren. I know you think you don't have a husband, but I'm going to be your husband, and you can go ahead and build out your tent. Knock yourself out. You don't have room for all the children I'm going to bring in. And by the way, tent, because you're not just going to be stuck in Jerusalem. I'm going to send you all over the world. You're going to go to all the nations, and you're going to possess them all. So have a tent and be ready to make it bigger. That's what God is saying here. I mean, to a barren widow, to Zion, fallen Zion, the people of God. Act boldly. As William Carey said, expect great things from God, Christian, and attempt great things from God. 
Will some people call you stupid because you have a bigger vision for ministry than they do? Absolutely. People call Noah stupid. People call Jesus stupid. People call anybody who's faithful to the, people call William Carey stupid. Stay at home. We got plenty of people to evangelize and plenty of mission work to do right here in London. Plenty to do. Why would you want to go off to India? But God told him and he was faithful. Go to India. Okay? Love everlasting. Our security. Fear not, verse 4. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will not forget, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood will be remembered by you no more. And then these are five terms. You've heard these in other sermons from me. We'll keep working on these in Isaiah. Don't have time for these today, but just note these. For your husband is your maker. He made you. He knows you better than you know yourself, okay? He's before time, your maker. His name is Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He commands the heavenly armies. You think he can't beat anybody else? You're crazy. He's the Lord of the heavenly host. And your redeemer, that's the central of the five, of course, the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, is the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel. And he is called, catch this, the God of all the earth. Do you have any problem that God can't reach? Let me ask you this. What do you think? Is there anything in you? Well, it's the way I was born. Or this is the way my mama raised me. You think God can't get in there and make changes? What do you think? Well, there's places in the world where the Christian church has just been lost or never been, so I guess we shouldn't go there. What does God say? I'm the God of the whole earth. And I command the heavenly armies. Do you know who you're dealing with here? Do you understand who loves you and is calling you into service? If I'm saying it's going to happen, it's going to happen. This is what God is saying here. Our security, love everlasting. God says, verses 7 and 8, for a brief moment, I left you. I mean, because Israel was unfaithful, right? I left you. But with great mercies, and I have it up here for you with the scripture, this is plural, okay? R, hard H, M, you know, transliterating over from the Hebrew. This is the word for mercy or compassion. If you were with this church like about six years ago or five years ago when I went over to, five years ago when I went over with Jimmy Harden to Israel and we stayed at the kibbutz Ruhama, and you remember I kind of made a big deal of that in a sermon because Ruhama means mercy. And it actually relates to a noun that means like womb or, you know, tender, feminine love. God says, look, I know, I know I'm a tough dad, but at the same time, I'm more tender even than your mom. And here, here, it's plural. Lachamim. Lachamim. With great mercies, I will gather you. Jesus says, I want to gather. I wanted to gather right? Jerusalem to myself, right? Rachamim. Is it, is it morning by morning, an occasional mercy I see? Is that the way it works? No. Morning by morning, new rachamim, plural mercies. They're overflowing from God, okay? Um, with great mercies, I will gather you. And you notice the, the contrast here is temporary judgment and wrath, loving wrath, loving discipline, but ultimate eternal love. In overflowing wrath for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with steadfast love, loving kindness, everlasting. 
the word here for love is like the big word in the Hebrew. Steadfast love, kind love, love that does not fail, chesed. And in case you didn't get the point here, it's chesed olam, chesed olam. Steadfast love that's never going to fail you, and it's everlasting. So there's your everlasting love. With steadfast love, loving kindness, everlasting, I will show mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Remember Psalm 35, Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favors for a lifetime. For a night, weeping may tarry. And you may have cried last night. I don't know what's going on in your life. It may be a hard time. But do you see the light? This is why we're here on the first day of each week to say, you know what? No matter what's going on in my life, the resurrection prevails. I'm in a new world. I'm on this side of the cross and the resurrection. That's why we worship on Sunday morning. In the morning, a shout of joy. Christian, because you have believed in Jesus, because you have been claimed by his grace, there is nothing that can separate you from his everlasting love and compassion and mercies for you. Do you hear what I'm saying? I open with this, let me return to this. There is nothing you can do that will make God love you anymore because you don't need to. It is not required. The lamb, the servant of Isaiah 53 has done it all. And on the other side of this, there's nothing you can do if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, there's nothing you can do that will separate you from his love or even make you less loved by him. He loves you totally. And that's what drives our service. We don't have anything to prove. It's because we respond to his everlasting love that we serve. So it is with our officers today and so it is with families. Okay, let's go to this. Um, knowing our security in his everlasting love. C.S. Lewis, a nice quote from C.S. Lewis. The Christian does not think that God will love us because we are good, but God will make us good because he loves us. You hear what I'm saying? This is the gospel now. He doesn't love us because we're good, but because he loves us, he will make us good. And part of that is serving in the church as witnesses in the world and centrally in the home. Centrally in the home. Brian, this is actually kind of a little pre-wedding thing for you and for all of the guys who are husbands or on the way to being husbands in this sanctuary right now or watching online. Okay, remember why I was talking to you about the metaphors with the bride of Christ and Zion being the bride of the Lord? Okay, let's go back to, in the New Testament, one case where this is brought home. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. I'm talking at two levels here. Husbands, this is talking to us, okay? And then also talking to all of us as Christians. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Isaiah 53, the cross, okay? Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Just to protect her from the bad guys? No, there's a bigger story, verse 26. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. You get to um, Revelation 21 and what do we see? The new Zion, the new Jerusalem coming down adorned beautifully as a bride for her husband. Y'all get the connections here. Now that's the big story from Isaiah through Ephesians to Revelation. But let me say this in the midst of this. Husbands, why are you married? Well, I don't know. I kind of like my wife. No, 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 no. Why did God put you in marriage? Your main job, the thing you are most accountable to before God, and the thing that you will be most blessed by, is to sanctify your wife in the washing of the water and the word. How often are you sanctifying your wife in this? I'm delighted you're here for worship. Please, definitely come back for worship. But what about during the week? You sanctifying her in the word? Hmm? God's word. That's the most important thing you can do. And church leaders likewise, what's the most important thing an elder or deacon can do? Serve the ministry of Jesus to sanctify the church in the washing of the water, the washing of the water and the word. But we made a lot of cookies or we handed out a lot of pieces of bread. Okay, that can be okay. But let me ask you this. Centrally, are you sanctifying and serving Jesus to sanctify the church in the word and in the water? This is what it's all about. This is the story. This is why elders and deacons and pastors are called to prepare the bride for the bridegroom. And he is coming. Jesus is coming. And he's looking for his bride. Love everlasting, our service. Finally, this note from John chapter 13. This is for all of us. Verses 34 and 35. On the night when Jesus prepared to pray, pay the bride price, right? To go to the cross for us. He washed his disciples' feet in the upper room. And he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Everlasting love, our service because we know that he loves us. But wait a minute, she was bad to me. He was bad to me. I didn't like what he said last week. So what? You have the love of God forever in Jesus Christ. He's laid down everything for you. Serve one another, love one another. Just as I have loved you, Jesus says, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I was reading um, last week and listening to an interview with Katie McCoy, who teaches theology and women's studies at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. And she was talking about some of the things we've been talking about on Wednesday night, you know, Equality Act and other things in our confused age in which we live. And she encouraged us, um, encouraged Christians not to be enslaved to the ideas or spirit of this age, just like the Christians in the early Roman Empire were not. And she said this, and the church in those early centuries turned the world upside down. How did they do it? By arguing with everybody? No. She said, they did it by proclaiming Christ through living holy lives and by loving their neighbor. 
Richard Blackburn, one of our new elders, one of his senses, central senses of call as an elder is, and he says this is true for all those who are on the older side of our congregation and the church throughout the country right now. We need to be really encouraging and counseling younger Christians because it's going to be hard and increasingly harder to be a Christian in the coming decade. This is our calling, and we can trust that even in the midst of hard times, his everlasting love prevails, and we need to open up the tent because he's got big plans. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.